welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a very talented piano player from Columbus, Ohio, Micah Thomas. Hello, everybody. This is Leander from Improv Exchange, and today we have Micah Thomas. Hello, sir. Hey, how you doing? Great. Could you introduce yourself to the people, please? Okay. Uh, well, I'm from Ohio. Um, I've been playing piano pretty much my whole life, and I've been playing jazz piano for a while. And um, I just finished up my master's degree at Juilliard, and I've been in New York for you know five years. I've been playing with. Um, all sorts of people, Lake Lund, Harish Raghavan, Emmanuel Wilkins, um, Joel Ross. And I recently put out an album of my own and am writing music for the next one. And yeah, that's me. Well, thank you for joining us once again. Absolutely. And as I was telling you off the air, I honestly didn't know who you were until a few days ago when Yasushi dropped your name on the podcast. I looked you up. I listened to your album Tide, and after hearing Tornado, which I believe was the opening track, mm-hmm. I was like in love. Oh man! <laughs> Shoot. And what's it called? You recorded that album live, right? Yeah, I recorded that at uh, the Katano, which is a bar inside a hotel. Yes, yeah, so actually, yeah, I've been there several times. They have an okay. open. They have a jam session, but you recorded it in that little room. I recorded in that little room. Nice. Okay. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we'll come back into the album, but you've been in New York for five years. Where have you been before that? All in Ohio since then? Yeah. Uh, well, I was in Florida for five years, but apart from that, mostly Ohio. Um, and that's actually where I am right now. Uh, with I'm in my parents' house, you know. The, the waiting waiting for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... What did you go to Florida for? Was that your undergrad? Oh, no. That was just when I was like four. Uh, I think my dad's work or something. But apart from that, mostly Ohio. Okay. So what got you interested in playing jazz? Um, man, I'm trying to <laughs> It's been so long. Uh, I think it happened when I was, yeah, it happened while I was in Florida. Well, even before that, my dad has a huge record collection. And so... He was playing all sorts of great music all the time um, and still is. And so, you know, he had Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Thelonious Monk. So I grew up listening to that stuff. And then when I was in Florida, about, I guess when I was seven, I was practicing. I was always playing piano because like when I was young, I was like, I could like pick up songs on the radio. And then my mom taught me some piano and then I started getting teachers. But I had a classical teacher in Florida who was also um, a jazz pianist and he started teaching me stuff and, and his name was Wes Hamrick and you know he was he would he would let me he would give me lessons for hours and you know he was very generous with his knowledge and information so he kind of started me on that and then when I got back to Ohio I started working with the uh, I, I was in their middle school, the jazz arts groups, middle school and high school program, the Columbus Youth Jazz Orchestra. And yeah, that's kind of how it happened. 
Okay. Well, you just getting out of the academic world. What is something you experienced? <laughs> okay. Um, man, I was, well, I was, I got my, I did a five-year program that gave me both undergrad and grad, which I'm very grateful for. And, um, man, uh, you know, when I was, I was very intimidated at first because, you know, it's Juilliard. It's a big name. Um, it's like the biggest name. Come on. Right. <laughs> it's, it's the one, it's the one in all the movies, you know, people know about it. Um, but I think I kind of realized that at the end of the day, it's still just a bunch of people, you know? So like, I would say the biggest takeaway, the, the biggest, the biggest thing that I got from it, like on the positive side was just the relationships that I got from the edge of individual people. Um, I mean, uh, I made a point to study with as many people as I could. So I took a some I, I, I spent a year with Kenny Washington. Uh, you know, you know him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and that was just incredible. I mean, that dude's an encyclopedia. And so that was amazing. And I spent like a year with Ben Wolf and uh and then this 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 other pianist, Elio Villafranca who is a, a Cuban pianist. And he taught me about kind of a bunch of musics about the diaspora diaspora. And I spent, you know, two or three years working with Frank Kimbrough and then just other teachers. Like my last year, I had a, a counterpoint teach. Cla- I did a bunch of classical classes my last year. And I had this counterpoint teacher, uh, Dr. Philip Lasser, who really opened, you know, my, my point being, you know, it doesn't, it isn't really. It doesn't really feel as much like a organized institutional program as I thought it would be. It was at the end of the day. My experience was just there were people there, and I had access to them. You know. No, I'm glad that you capitalized on it. Mm-hmm. It shows in your music. And how did you see the jazz world as a student? Huh. Um, well, I kind of noticed that a lot of people. A lot of people who are in Juilliard or any any conservatory can spend all their time inside the building. And I noticed that a lot of the students that did this would end up getting really depressed about the music and not wanting to do it after for a while. Um, and I mean, I can't say exactly why, but I think it has something to do with the vitality of the music is in like, it has to, it has to be experienced outside the institution. So I, I kind of felt like my experience was I was from the beginning. One thing that I think I did right was that I purposefully made sure I spent as much time playing music outside of school as I did in and kind of balanced the two, you know, cause I just, I, I just had to. Yeah. Especially in New York city, you can't lock yourself up practicing the stuff you're going to lose touch of reality and then Mm -hmm. by the time you graduate and get into the music world you're going to be an expert in techniques from the Mm -hmm. styles of a hundred plus years ago Mm -hmm. right like as much as i love swing and big band what was the last one time you saw a song on the top 40 the cherry popping daddies i think was the last one wait which one the cherry popping daddies zoot suit right i think that was the last one that made top 40 man i'm not even in touch with the top 40 (laughs) <laughs> there you go. You see what I mean, though. Are you talking about Billboard or a Billboard? 
Not jazz week. Are you you're just talking about any genre at all? Any genre at all. When was the last time a jazz song was up there? Man, you know what I actually did? This I actually did go through all the top 10 Billboard stuff. Or, or, uh, like, I was just trying to see what's on the top 10. And, man, I learned a lot about what kind of music is popular. Like, like you know, I thought that there would be a bunch of D'Angelo and Kendrick Lamar and maybe like the Gorillas or Radiohead. That's the stuff mm-hmm. that I listen to now that I thought was popular. No way. That's not even... D'Angelo it is barely on the charts. That surprised me. I mean, Joja Cat, I think, has a top 10 hit around this time. Right. I saw that somewhere. And that's another weird thing. And then if you go into other countries like the UK, if you go into Japan, mm-hmm. you see a more diverse charts than us. Okay. okay. So at least that's something that I suggest jazz artists to pay attention to in the future. That as much yeah. as I love Coltrane. Mm-hmm. Straight Ahead Bebop has not made, I think, the top 100 since. Yeah. It would be very, I would be extremely surprised. <laughs> Definitely. So you just graduated. Mm-hmm. You're performing, you're touring. Yep. Corona hits. How does that affect you? Because you were skyrocketing, it looked like. I know, man. It's It's a weird time because, I mean... Because I'm on four albums that are getting released this year. before And before now, I was on maybe two. So it's kind of happening. This It's actually happened. It actually started happening. Honestly, it feels like it's been happening after Corona started. You're a monster. Four albums in a year? I know, man. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. I don't know how that happened. With the same bandmates? Well, yes. Uh, well, no, not really. But like, so I'm on Gifton, you know, you know Gifton Jalen. Yes. Uh, he, I'm on his record and we share a drummer in common. I think I actually, I actually, because Gifton heard me and Kyle play together and that's why he hired mm-hmm. both of us. And then Emmanuel, I'm on Emmanuel's album and Emmanuel's and Gifton's album. So it's kind of a shared, yeah, it's a shared, you know, it's a bit of a shared community. And then I'm on Walter's record and Walter heard of me through Emmanuel and Emmanuel's, you know, close with that whole Walter Ambrose circle. So yes, it's, it's it's kind of all in consequence of each other. And Harish heard of me through playing with Emmanuel's band, which I'm in, you know, so yeah, it's all a circle, big circle. No, that's still impressive, man. Come on. One year out, you're about to drop four albums. You're networking really well. Yeah, that's ungrateful. So I, I give you that. So what is uh what, what what advice would you give someone going into music? At what stage? Your stage. This is where you're at. <laughs> at my if I was gonna give someone at my stage advice. So should I be giving myself advice? No, no, like, no. I meant like somebody who is younger than you. Okay. At where you are right now, what mm-hmm. would you tell them? Got you. Um, let's see. I, well, I was, te- so I've been, you know, trying to do some online lessons, um, especially since now. So, um, and I had one guy that was just going into Juilliard um, and he asked me, what, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I just, well, that's the thing. All my advice had to do with making sure that you go to all the clubs. So 
because he was going to New York. But I can't give that advice anymore because I don't know what's happening. You know, everything's closed. So, I mean, a lot. I end up telling a lot of people seem to be working on a bunch of different things. Like when I look at people's practice routines, you know, they'll spend 20 minutes working on, you know, I don't know how to play bossa nova. And then they'll spend 20 minutes on working how to play bebop. And then they'll spend 20 minutes sight reading, you know, and I'd say at a certain point, you probably even sooner than you might think you might get to the point where you actually play fine. Like you, you hit all the quote unquote requirements, which actually aren't in my opinion requirements. I don't know if, um, like I have never heard Aaron Parks play stride. I've never heard David Vareas play stride and I couldn't really care less. Like the only thing that matters is whether they're creating amazing music and they are. And the way to create amazing music is going into, is finding something that you actually care about, you know? And so often I end up telling people you, it's if, if they're, if I feel like they're ready, I just tell them you, you, you've done, you're kind of done fulfilling all the requirements. Now it's just time to find a sound that you love and that is valuable, you know? Okay. I could pretty much agree with that. Mm -hmm. So what is something that people seem to misunderstand about the music world? Hmm. Hmm. Like musicians or non-musicians? Well, whichever take you want to give me. Huh? Well, I think non-musicians don't understand. It seems like they don't really understand. Um, whether it's work or not, or whether we're working hard and where the work, they don't understand what part of it, of the music process is hard, you know? Um, just, I, you know, I had, I had friends who were like, so what do you do in a music school? And then, you know, and outside of school, I have people asking me, man, you know, the, the, the kind of, they, they're under the impression that, what we do is just fun um, and not hard, uh, especially because of the improvisation part, um, including classical musicians, honestly. Uh, yeah, I was about to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so, you know, uh, if I was, because classical music, and I learned a lot about class, what is hard about classical music at Juilliard because the amount of like, I realized for the first time that I could never be a classical musician at Juilliard because what they do is they spend so much time nailing incredibly, like incredibly specific parts of specific repertoire. Whereas what we do is we are collecting skills that we can apply to any musical situation at any time. And so it's completely different, you know, like they'll spend hours trying to nail like four bars of music. I couldn't imagine myself ever spending that much time on something like that. You know what I'm saying? So no, I, one thing that got me about, how should I say classical musicians without getting people mad at me? <laughs> yeah. Was, uh, you said like, you know, you see an improvisation chart and it's pretty much just the chord and the lights. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, that couldn't be that hard. Right. Yeah, guy. Some of these charts, some of these guys write in like fusion jazz and mm -hmm. oh yeah, pieces. 
yeah, it's like, mm, how do I make this work? Right. But, and sometimes, sometimes the lead sheets with sometimes the less information, the harder it is to make it sound good, you know? Oh, me being a percussionist, they don't even give me a chart half the time. That's oh, another, of course, of course. That's another headache, even though I've grown to love that and appreciate that better. Oh, it's a he- but, oh, how is it a headache? Just because you don't know what they want? Yeah. So I have to sit there, keep time for like the first two runs when you guys go through the chart and then be like, okay, emphasize that, 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 that. Right. Now, maybe it's because I'm not as amazing as Billy Cowpan or some of these other guys. Ulysses is probably going to laugh at that if you heard this, but yes. <laughs> well, I think I remember I heard something about, I don't know if it was Thad Jones, but some great big band. No, sorry, Mel Lewis, not Thad Mel Lewis. It was either Mel Lewis or someone else, but they would, Mel, I think it might have been Mel, but Mel would have the band play the whole chart once. And you and then and then the second, the second, I think this, it was for him the second time, he, he would be like, okay, I'm ready now to play it. So. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. I yeah. can see that. <laughs> yeah. So, what is something you notice about the music scene recently? <laughs> well, there's the obvious thing, which is that we got besides no the corona. <laughs> unless you want to go into that, <laughs> um, man, you, you know saying- what's weird? I'll tell you what's weird. It's weird that people that are slightly younger than me are transcribing me and Joel and Emmanuel. That's really weird. <laughs> That's how you know you made it, man. <laughs> man, I'm just I'm just thinking. But seriously, I don't really think that they should be doing that necessarily. I mean, I'm flattered, but. No, why not? Why don't you think that? Because I can tell you why they should be. Go. <laughs> I, I think they shouldn't be because I'm not yet at the point where I've solidified a thing that's that distinct from, I can tell you where I'm coming from, you know, and I can tell you where Emmanuel and Joel are coming from. I mean, for me, like, you know, I'm very lazy. So if I'm going to transcribe something, <laughs> if I'm going to transcribe something, it's going to be someone who has figured out what they're doing. Like, I'm going to transcribe. I'm, I may not even want to transcribe, like, people as great as Dexter Gordon or Joe Henderson. Like, if I'm going to transcribe someone, it's going to be someone who plays in a way that like they have perfected what they do and they are the originator of all the people who have copped him. So it's going to be a lot of Charlie Parker. It's going to be a lot of Teddy Wilson. It's going to be a lot of Art Tatum, you know, it's just, and then with me and Emmanuel and Joel and, you know, it's just, you, they, they are choose. It doesn't feel like they're choosing very carefully, you know, <laughs> but I mean, okay. yeah. Okay. But the other side of the argument is how many times do I want to see a transcription of kind of blue? Have you? I haven't even seen one. Oh, I've seen okay. tons. Okay. 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 <laughs> that album came out 30, 40 years before I was born. Right. So here comes a person dropping four albums a year who is has a unique, interesting sound. Mm. And you're up, and you find it weird. To, to, I'm, okay, this is just interesting for me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I see where you're coming from, actually. I see where you're coming from. I guess I'm also coming from the fact that I haven't done much transcribing. So I'm not nah, that's, in that that's world. That's one thing I avoided in class. Okay. I hated doing that. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah. So I feel you on that. But where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? Hmm. Let's see. 
Well, I think that a lot of practices in the industry that we're already not doing so well are not going to survive this. Um, I'm still, I mean, I'm still trying to, there's, I'm just, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm still relatively new. It still feels like I moved to New York last month for me and I'm still learning my way around. I've don't have a very business minded brain. I'm very much, I kind of just want to stick my brain in the music and keep it there forever. So, you know, it's taken me a while to learn how the business runs, but there just seems to be some things that don't make sense uh, just in terms of um, in just the way I see the record industry working and the way I see the club industry working. There's, It just seems like there were some practices that were unsustainable that are not going to survive. And I think that my generation is going to have to figure out new ways of commodifying what we're doing. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if there's going to be less people, less young. I wonder how many young people are going to want to do this compared to before. I wonder. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. With jazz clubs closing all the time. Mm -hmm. and no, I fully understand that. Yeah. So that's something the future will have to hold. And even the way records sold or so records are being sold, how they're being consumed. Right. Yeah. I mean, the nice thing about now is that people are, I feel like people are listening to records more, right? More accessible now. So mm -hmm. that's another. Well, I'm just talking about Corona, though. You actually, yeah, probably. They're listening to the whole album now, probably, versus just a few tracks. Right. And they don't have any live music. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'm listening to more music than before because I'm not experiencing the live stuff as much and because I got more time because, you know, I'm not working. <laughs> All right. So if you could turn back time, mm -hmm. talk to your 18 year old self, would you talk them out of being a musician? Nope. No. Um, not at all. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> have you gotten people so, who have said yes to that? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, that's sad, man. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Some of them are just plain like they, they were like, ah, I don't want to keep bringing that example up, but yes, people have came on here and said stuff like that. Oh, that's too bad. I mean, what? it's not for everybody, but you know, I love it. <laughs> so you can remove all the barriers, constraints. Mm -hmm. What type of project would you do? And who would be on it? Oh my gosh. I've been, I've spent so much time thinking under constraints, man. I shoot. That's a hard thing, man, because, you know, when I got to New York first, I wanted to play with all the baddest people who were living. Um, like I wanted to, you know, my dream band was like, you know, Nasheed Waits and Joe Sanders or Ron Carter and Al Foster, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing that the probably in some ways the best music that I can create is with people that I have the time to, to spend 
a ton of time just playing music. Like, you know, with Dean and Kyle, who are on my album, we just played before our first gig. So the way I prepared for the possibility of recording is I would do, I would try to make sure I did a gig a month. And before our first gig, we played just, I mean, quote unquote rehearsed, but it was really us trying to get a band sound. Um, So we would rehearse, I think we rehearsed every week for like 10 weeks um, before the, the gig. And man, I would much rather listen to us than maybe me doing something for the very first time with like someone as great as like Eric Harland and uh, Yasushi without any rehearsal, just because what I'm looking for is a band sound, you know? So since realizing that it's been about who can I, who can I develop with, you know, because also my, the way I play is, has been so shaped by Kyle Benford and Dean Torrey and Emmanuel and um, Gifton. And, you know, they've kind of, been a big part in defining who I am. And then I realized that if, if I looked at the people that I look up to, like Aaron Parks, band vision is very much influenced by Kurt Rosenwinkels and Gerald and Ambrose and Harish are all, I don't know who comes from who, but they all have that And Logan Richardson and Harish played with Logan and Harish's music sounds like Logan. And it's all this, you know, we are all influencing each other and, those connections seem, and then I hear all these all-star albums that aren't as great. And it just seems like the lesson is I hate the way the dream is within reality. Album. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I could honestly say that. Wait, what'd you, <laughs> what'd you say it again? I hate most of those all-star albums. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Good to get backlash for that. So yeah. what is one of the best compliments or the best compliment you ever received? I, it all depends on where it's coming, on who it's coming from, you know, because, uh, um, you know, I get a lot of young people saying things that I don't even want to repeat about me. And, you know, it's flattering, but then, uh, Jason Moran will text me saying I sounded good on a manual single. And that will be all I'm thinking about for a week, you know? So, <laughs> um, okay. yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. I guess the other thing is that I am very critical of myself. So I unfortunately don't always pay as much attention as I should when people are complimenting me and pay more attention to criticism. Okay. Uh, how about you tell me one of those that you don't want to repeat? Or is this something you got to tell me off the air? Oh, no, no, no. Wait. Well, that was, a, it was just that. I mean, like, I mean, like, like people saying I'm the next whoever, okay. or it's just things that are like, come on, you know, <laughs> I get you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what piano player do you look up to? I mean, Mm-hmm. Who do you, who's your role model right now in the scene? Um, well, for the last, from when I heard him for the first time in high school up until now, Sullivan Fortner is the dude. Uh, that's, that's the guy that I've always, that's the guy that 
put me on a mission, you know, just hearing him realizing that you can get to that level and realizing you can get to that level and be only about 10 years as older than I am. Um, I would love to hear him play against Christian Sands. Yeah. Christian Sands is a bad dude. I would love to hear him play against Theodore Hill. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of these guys. That's why I'm just curious. Which one is like your guy? So it's him. It's Sullivan Fortner. Um, I mean, there are others. I would. No, also, there are others. I was just curious which one's the main one. The, the competitor for me in that age group is David Vareas. Really? Okay. Yeah. You you check them out? Yes. Ooh, that's a bad dude, man. I get him a lot, and I get Emmett in your age group. Hmm. Yep. Emmett, 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 Emmett's killing. And then older than us, Jason Moran. Yes. <laughs> okay, so before we go, mm-hmm. you know we like to give a shout out and show our respects to artists who came before us. Yep. So I'm going to tell you an instrument and two artists. Okay. Choose one and tell us why. <sighs> okay. Oh, no. Oh, you I really want to stir up trouble, don't you? No, okay. no, no, no. I'm not trying to stir up trouble today. <laughs> Let's go. Let's just say the last few weeks I got some emails, okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All good. <laughs> so on trumpet. Okay. Clifford Brown or Chef Baker? Uh, the second one was Chef Baker? Yes. Ah, Clifford Brown. I haven't checked out Chef Baker that much, man. Okay. On saxophone, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. Wayne Shorter. <sighs> okay. Hmm. Um... Now I'll, you know what I'll go with, I'll go with John Coltrane just because he's so important, man. He's so important, and that band, that band is, that that the late quartet is just is so important to me, you know. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. On bass, mm-hmm. Christian McBride or Esperanza Spartan. Now wait, I have a question. So this is this a fantasy band? I mean, you could make it a fantasy band. I was just naming, because you know. I don't think I prop whatever I answer is probably they're probably not going to actually work together very well. <laughs> but let's see, Christian McBride or Esperanza Esperanza Spalding? Well, I'm I'm ignorant, man. I haven't I have not listened to enough Esperanza Spalding. So by default, Christian McBride also Christian is so amazing. But yeah, okay. On drums, Gene Cooper. Or Buddy Rich. Hmm. Ha, man, you're so I haven't listened to a lot of Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich on Ella and Lewis is some of my favorite drumming I've ever heard. So Buddy Rich. All right. On keys, Art Tatum or the monk? <laughs> oh no. No, that's that's the impossible one. That's the impossible one. Uh yeah, you've hit two people that are extremely crucial to me. So yeah, I, I, I can't help you there. I can't answer. <laughs> Boo. Sorry. But okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm surprised I've been able to answer so far. <laughs> well, you got me curious and I want it, but I'm not going to, I was like, not go for it. Your dream band. I want to know your dream band. Go. Okay. Oh man. I could probably come up with a few, but um okay on trumpet who go okay let's start well man we should we should start on the we should start with the rhythm section um okay on the drums on the drums you know what i want to hear more okay this is gonna sound basic but 
I need to hear more. I need to hear more albums where Marcus Gilmore is just doing his thing at a hundred percent. You know, he's on a lot of album. He's on, he's on a lot of concept albums and like, for example, um, like what, what, what was that hip hop album that Ambrose did? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Ambrose just the last, the second to last album that Ambrose I can move point. So it's like, it's, he was working with a rapper and a string quartet and a drummer and Marcus Gilmore and Sam Harris on synth. And the album is super killing. Uh, but for the most part, Marcus is playing a, you know, I mean, Ambrose and Marcus are definitely dealing, but he's playing a role. I, and, you know, Gerald's album with Marcus is coming out. Actually, honestly, that album that Gerald's about to put out with Marcus and Joe Sanders and Gerald Clayton could have been that. So, hmm, I'm not, I'm not doing very well answering this question. Shoot. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so, go for it. Come on, man. Ah, man. You know, I also miss, I miss, Tyshawn Sori is one of my favorite composers ever. I've listened, Verisimilitude and Pillars and Alloy are, you know, some of my favorite albums. And he's not doing a whole lot of drumming anymore. And, you know, complete respect to that decision, but I miss it, man. I miss his drumming, you know, like, I want to, I, you know, so get Tyshawn, um, and then a bunch of people who are, you know, man, I can't, I'm sorry, man. I cannot answer okay, this question. Fine, I cannot fine, answer this fine. question, man. I cannot answer this question. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll leave you alone on this. Okay, Thank fine. You, man. <laughs> Can you tell everyone where to find you, your social media, your website, etc.? Um, You can find me at my website, Micah.io. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, you can check out my album Tide. You can, um, I'm, you know, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no problem, man. Well, everyone, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, man. It's okay. It's cool, man. This is the end of from Improv Exchange. <laughs> Thank you. Have a good night. Say good night, sir. Good night, man. Thank you for having me. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>